supply chain levels for software artifacts uh, was a standard that was donated by our friends from Google. So internally within Google, uh, we had a number of different ways of describing the provenance of a binary. So as you build something, was it built in a completely hermetically sealed environment? Was it built using known good sources? Do you have traceability? Are your config files locked down and cryptographically signed? All that kind of stuff. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Omkar Arasaratnam, General Manager at the OpenSSF, former Director of Engineering for Regulated Cloud Solution at Google, Senior Fellow at the Center for Cybersecurity at NYU. You get the idea. Omkar has been around the industry. He's also been on the show previously on one of my most important episodes, which was all about supply chain security and the ways we can improve it. Now, Omkar and I are muy simpatico, and we can drift into solutioning together very quickly. So I'm going to try to avoid that trap today, um, but we're going to talk about his new role at the foundation. Uh, so I think we could all learn you know, from Omkar here what the heck is going on in that world. We're talking about Open Source Security Foundation. We're talking about Linux. We're talking about all this cool realm. Omkar is now the general manager, so he's going to fill us in. Omkar, thank you so much for coming back to the ranch. Thanks, man. It's a pleasure to be here. And look, this is one of those things where I feel like this has come full circle. Right. So the episode that you're referring to where you and I went into solutioning mode, which for the viewers out there was actually the second episode we recorded. Right. Because our audio screwed up the first time and where we just drifted into this beautiful kind of, at least from my engineering mind, brainstorming as to how to fix the security software supply chain issues. I mean, talk about manifesting your own destiny. Right. Here I am. What? 18 months, two years later. So. Thank you, Alan, because you got my brain thinking that way. That's awesome, man. I'm glad. I'm glad you could do it. I'm glad you could be a part of that show. It's still. I still get a ton of listeners that tell me that's one of their favorite shows. Um, so let's talk about it now. You're over at the Open Source Security Foundation. Um, so I guess my first question is kind of like, tell me a little bit about that, and tell me a little bit about how that ties into this supply chain conversation. Absolutely. So um, I'll give you a brief history of how I got here. So unfortunately, like many of my much smarter colleagues, I was laid off from my role at Google earlier this year. And when I, when I started thinking about what do I do next, um, and once we got away from the branch of do I work or not, because Sabrina said, you're not retiring now, um, <laughs> and you know how nice. that is, right? Um, yep. I thought about, and I actually give credit to a person I consider a mentor and friend of mine, Charles Blonner, um, known him for a number of years, was uh, security leadership at Citibank for more years than I can count. And Charles said, Omkar, you're an engineer. Think of this like an engineer. Write down your requirements. Write down the things you think are important, the things that aren't important, and, and be retrospective. Understand the things that kind of surprised you as you go through this analysis, and then take all the phone calls. So that's what I did. And I realized two things. One, in my previous career, the kind of momentum that had taken me from job A to job B, job B to job C was no longer there. So it allowed me to be much more relaxed and much more contemplative when it came to what I wanted to do next. The next thing that I realized, you know, putting more zeros on the W-2 wasn't the priority anymore. And if I take that out of the equation, what's important? 
And what I found myself drifting towards was things with impact. And the more impact, the better, uh, which is when this opportunity came up at the Linux Foundation. So the Linux Foundation was set up about over 20 years ago in order to set up a nonprofit to sustainably fund development within the Linux kernel. From there, and there were a number of, you know, uh, proto foundations that all kind of merged and melded over the years. But from there, it's become one of the premier foundations for funding nonprofit work in open source. So in about the summer of 2020, um, the open source, excuse me, the OSSF came together. And this was through some interesting, there were predecessor foundations that were doing similar work. There was a lot of interest from our founding members like Microsoft, Google, et cetera. Um, somehow this was just before Log4J and it all, it, it all started gelling. And um, hat tip to my buddy, Brian Bellendorf, who was the original general manager. Brian pulled everything together, got everybody steering in the same direction, um, did some great work. I think last year, May or so, they were at the White House talking to the POTUS administration about all the various things that we could be doing to make this better. Great buy-in from public sector, private sector, and here we are today. So what are we doing? We're focusing on making the open source supply chain more secure. And that's in a number of different vehicles and methods, whether it be through funding projects like SIGSTORE, SALSA, SBOM everywhere, whether it be engaging with our community, our stakeholders in terms of members, as well as the public sector. We've been trying, we've been trying to do our best. Um, in the last two and a half months that I've been on, I was teasing one of my friends earlier today. I was like, you know, I really haven't done any security stuff just yet. <laughs> uh, having come on, it's been a lot of management kind of stuff, hiring the best talent we can, setting the right goals, setting the right incentives, as well as structuring the program to get to that next level. So look, man, we've been doing security for a while you know security is this intractable problem, right? There's so many things. How do you decide what to do first? So I took a page out of the enterprise security book. And I said, how would I have approached this if I was in a security leadership role at one of my other companies that I've worked at? And it starts off with aligning a set of use cases, threat modeling them, developing a set of controls to address the threats that you identify, and then sequencing them into a roadmap, just like you would if you were the CISO at a company. And in doing so, what I really want to do is I think we've spent a ton of time building better mousetraps for our software developers. And we have, like, if you have a cryptographically verifiable um, chain of provenance of every single component that went into your binary, that is phenomenal. But we need to anchor that on something. And we need to anchor that on my dad picking up his iPhone and there being an O-Day. And how do we converge our work within the software supply chain to ensure that when that event should happen, that it is either something that we can react to in a very methodical, not exciting, super duper boring manner, or that we catch it far enough upstream that my dad didn't even notice. 
So it's that kind of end user orientation that I want to use to anchor our work, because it's wonderful to think about how I get up to salsa level, and I'm going to make up a level, folks, sorry, salsa level 16. But at the end of the day, if my dad's phone is still getting popped, we we've really missed the target. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. You can, you can go through uh, the architecture from the security perspective and still miss the entire, miss the entire point. I've, I've, I've had similar conversations just this morning um, on, on the same paradigm that oftentimes we think we know what we're doing. Security is so second nature for us. We're willing to embrace complexity and, and layers and models and architectures and collide them all together and casually talk about how we, we're solving problems with doing all of that. And at the end of the day, you know, is, is Timmy still getting ransomware? Is, is, is Timmy even insurable for cyber insurance? Can Timmy, you know, like, what are some of the basics there, right? Like, like we have to always remember the basics. Uh, so this is great. This is a great organization mission and vision. Um, I, I, I'm impressed. You've only been in the seat two and a half months. You've already got this... Uh, Standing on the shoulders of giants, my friend, like none of this was kind of sprung forth from my head. As I was mentioning earlier, Brian and the team did some great work prior to me even showing up. I'm just the second man in the relay. I'm taking the baton and I'm going to do my my set of the race. But I was able to kind of converge on this based on some amazing work that's been done in our existing work groups um, and being able to converge like-minded people, security people, for whom all this is common vernacular, right? If you tell a security person, hey, we're going to do a threat model, they're like, okay, that makes sense. Let's go do that. Um, so yeah, so full credit to uh, full credit to the leadership that preceded me in this. But yeah, I'm super excited about taking this to the next level. This is awesome. And as you guys come up with roles and come up with um, hires, uh, let me know. We'll socialize with my network, get that word out there, get you top tier talent all all working on this as you as you create new roles and get all aligned. And I appreciate that. We actually, as part as part of my first sixty, I committed to my board that I was going to close out all the open headcount with the most senior, highest, bestest talent that I can find. And I'm happy, happy, happy to announce that we have we just closed our last open role. But absolutely, as more opportunities come up, Alan, I am more than more than delighted to share those with you and your listeners. That's beautiful, man. I appreciate that. All right, so we've talked vision, uh, we've talked mission. Uh, what exciting projects are taking place? Talk to me about some of the. Let's let's get into the weeds a little bit. Let's get into the weeds. So um, we had a big salsa announcement in April, I believe, just before I joined. And, and for my listeners, go ahead and tell everybody what salsa is, just in case some folks don't know. Oh, okay. Well, salsa, and now you're going to make me go look up the acronym, my friend. <laughs> I don't um, remember it off the top of my head either. Supply chain levels for software artifacts uh, was a standard that was donated by our friends from Google. So internally within Google, uh, we had a number of different ways of describing the provenance of a binary. So as you build something, was it built in a completely hermetically sealed environment? Was it built using known good sources? Do you have traceability? Are your config files locked down and cryptographically signed? All that kind of stuff. Um, since most of the world doesn't build software on Borg, surprising, I know, um, our friends at Google externalized that into a format that was more generalized into a standard that was more generalized and more easily understandable in terms of how that would apply to common built environments. So uh, Salsa 1.0 was released in April, and it provides a number 
think of it like a best practices guide for when you're building software, these are the things that you should consider. Uh, we've also been doing a lot of work around SBOMs. Um, I am a strong believer and advocate in the use of SBOMs. I think I've seen all the hot takes, and I'm just going to pause for a minute to, to explain why I think it's important. Um, number one, as a software engineer, if you come to me and tell me that it's too arduous for you to tell me the software that went into your binary, we got a big problem. And I, I don't mean to talk down. I don't mean to be patronizing. But if you are building software and don't know what went into it, I mean, that we got a big problem. Um, that's a discipline and engineering issue. And we sh that the difficulty with understanding your dependencies shouldn't be a case for not developing an SBOM. It should be an indicator that maybe you need to do software development in a different way. I think SBOMs provide us this incredible source data. It tells you the things that went in. And the reason that that's incredibly important is the same reason that asset management has been the number one on the SANS top 20, now CIS top 20, for the last 25 years. You need to know your stuff before you can secure your stuff, right? <laughs> Once you have that inventory and you understand it's Zlib version 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, if a CVE comes out for Zlib, two forks in the, two tines in the fork, one if you're the software engineer, you can be thoughtful as to whether your package is affected. And you can then go through and understand what the calling path is for those functions that may have a security vulnerability and determine if it even matters for your code or not, right? So that's thing first. Thing second, time second, is if you are somebody that runs the software, hey, it's super important for you to understand whether there's the potential for a vulnerability in one of your binaries. But it also allows you to better understand whether that's a thing that's internet facing, is that a thing that's hidden behind some development DMZ? Is that a thing that, hey, we don't need that anyway, just turn that off. But it right. allows you to better plan your response. And yeah, I think con context is key, but informed context is truly key. Informed context. Look, we've all run security incidents before. Nobody wants to be that person jacked up full of adrenaline, shooting from the hip and trying to figure stuff out at runtime. You want to make it boring. You want to make it predictable. You want to make it easy. And to me, SBOMs allow you the foundation to be able to do that. An SBOM on its own won't solve your security problem. But man, if you don't even know what's out there, I don't know how you begin to address the issue. Right, right. Yeah, there's, there's that panic moment of, oh my goodness, what do we have? You know, log4j hits and the first question is, do I even have that in my shop? Exactly. Exactly. And then the second question is, do I have it in this product? Do I have it in that product? You have to start going on a per product basis because not just the code you developed in house, but Hey, I'm, I'm using uh, these firewalls and, and those uh, VDIs and, and you know, who's got log4j in those products. And it becomes this nightmare of, of just the unknown eats up easily the first most critical moments of every IR scenario. Right. Absolutely. And as we all know, those first critical moments are the most critical moments and by the time you figured out if you even have the thing, the bad thing has already happened in 18 places while you've been isolating the 14 where it didn't even happen, right? Like it wasn't even there. So super key. Yeah. I think the, I think the scariest thing that I saw during Log4j was um, there were well-meaning security professionals 
that weren't software engineers that were taking extremely drastic steps, like literally telling people in production environments to delete log4j jar files. Like if, if that doesn't fill you with fear, then you don't understand how software works. So being able to have a much more methodical way of doing this, rather than having people deleting shared libraries from the hard drives of your servers, I feel is a level of maturation that we at the OpenSSF have been able to bring together through projects like the SBOM Everywhere workgroup that we didn't have previously. Um, in addition to that, we have a, a work group with perhaps the coolest name called the Software Tool Belt. Security tool belt, I believe. Um, and jokes aside, it's led by some really super duper smart people like Crow from Intel, who's also the chair of our TAC, uh, the Technical Advisory Committee. And the objective there is to bring together those use cases and threat modeling that I talked about earlier. So to be able to give us that backbone or that framework against which to allay all the work that's in flight, as well as to identify work that we haven't considered yet. In my last board meeting, which was last week, forgive the New Yorker in me, but I drew them a subway map, right? And the subway map is the stations along the way, and it says, we are here, we're gonna go here. And these are the steps that are next. So we're at Wall Street, we're gonna go to 42nd Street, next stop along the way is Fulton. And this provides three things as far as I'm concerned, right, from a management perspective. One. It allows everybody to align on what target state is. Hey, we're going to go to 42nd Street. Everybody in? We're in. Second, it allows people to expect or set their expectations for what's next. Okay, we're here right now. This is the very next thing you're going to see. Measure me on that. Once we get there, we can look backward and say, we've accomplished those things, those stations that we passed. But the third and most important thing is it allows us to have a discussion about whether we're going on the right route. If we decide at 14th Street to switch from the two train to the four train, it allows us to reason over that decision based on some kind of framework and understanding of where we want to go together. And it allows us to have that discussion. As well as that awareness of what's been accomplished, right? You've got the context both directions. Exactly. And it allows us to come to that conclusion with, remember, we're open source. So our community is first and foremost, as well as our members as well as our staff. And it gives us a framework through which to reason over these decisions. So I'm super excited about that tool belt work that's going on as well. That sounds fantastic. I love the metaphor. I love the model. Uh, I, I don't know a two train from a four train. I'm not a New Yorker, but I get the metaphor. <laughs> You're going to be in New York in the next couple of weeks. So the two, the one, two, three are the red lines. The four, five, six are the green lines. Just remember that when you're on the subway. There we go. All right. So yeah, I'll, I'll be in. I'll be in New York in just a couple of weeks. And and that that that's uh, some context, time context we should provide. Omkar and I are recording this a few weeks before Black Hat, but this show is going to air the week before Black Hat. Mm -hmm. So uh, I understand on that topic uh, when we talk about timing that next week uh, I'll call it next week at Black Hat. Uh, you guys are going to be uh, maybe announcing some things at Black Hat. Well, you know the uh, members of my leadership team are going to be down. We're gonna. We have some big announcements that are going to be coming um, on the ninth. There'll be a talk on the eleventh as well. More to come, and perhaps while down there, Alan, we can have some more discussions. Um, really excited about the work that we've been doing, as well as our accomplishments most recently. And I think once 
once the presentations are complete, you'll see that the way that we are thinking about security writ large and the impact that we can have across the world for the greater public good, it's just, it's so inspiring. As I was mentioning earlier, when I was thinking about roles that I wanted to do and what the key criteria were for me in terms of getting that work joy, the kind of stuff that we're going to have coming down the pipe is absolutely phenomenal. So once this goes live, hey folks, Alan's going to share all socials and whatnot that you can connect with me. Connect with me there. You'll see the announcements. Connect with me at Black Hat and Defcon. Would love to catch up with y'all and uh, maybe have a more in-depth discussion uh, that week. But look forward to look forward to attending um, Hacker Summer Camp for sure. All right. I'll, I'll be there and I will have a microphone. I'm going to want to get the lowdown uh, when the announcements come out. I'm going to want the want the details, my friend. I'll get you stickers, my friend. <laughs> stickers is good. Stickers is always good. The podcast laptop needs more stickers. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So managing director, um, I guess we can't give away too much future stuff. You've already talked about your 60 day, get everybody hired. You've hired everybody. You've got this new vision. You've got this new mission. You've got your subway map. Any other ways you're going to, you're going to leave your mark? Um, look, at the end of the day, being the general manager for a nonprofit means that most of the mark that's left is by influence. So the first thing, call to action. Community, come out. Help us. We don't know everything. We Look, I've been doing security for 20 years, but on a daily basis, I wake up and have discovered new things. So we definitely don't know it all. But my main job and the job of Linux Foundation staff in this endeavor is really setting up the right framework so that our community, our member companies, and everyone that wants to contribute, that they have a forum in which they can contribute. So there's lots of work groups. As I was mentioning, the one that I think is most active right now and uh, really influencing the direction in which we head is the Tool Belt work group. And we're going to continue to see that out. We have a open source summit in Bilbao in Spain in the middle of- Oh, I love of, that town. Oh, it is fantastic. That's one of the two sites for a Guggenheim Museum on planet Earth. I did not know. See, Alan, I'm always learning things when I sit down with you. Um, in addition to the Guggenheim, we will also be having a open SSF day there on Monday, September 18th, as well as the rest of the uh, Linux Foundation's Open Source Summit. Uh, in which there's a security track. So would love all of our friends from Europe or our friends that would like to travel to Europe uh, to come visit us out there. Um, in addition to that, there's a number of events, including KubeCon in November. Uh, we'll be doing something in Open Source Summit in Japan in December. And for those of you that are Linux Foundation members already, our member summer, summit in Monterey, California, is going to be in late October. So kind of laying that out as to, okay, those are really cool places on car. What does all this mean? So the tool belt, we're going to be making some announcements in terms of what the roadmap looks like coming out of that work in Bilbao. For the member summit, we're going to be holding, once a year, we do an in-person board meeting for all our board members. We're going to ratify our 2024 plans as well as the preliminary 2024 budget and get all that ready to go. So by the time we slide into the holidays, this is going to be this is going to be easy peasy. 
in November at KubeCon, you know, who knew? A lot of CNCF people are also interested in open source software supply chain security. So I'm going to be meeting with my CNCF buddies uh, later on this afternoon and see what we can do there. And then last but not least, in Japan at the end of the year, uh, we have a tremendous, tremendous amount of interest in Asia, uh, as it wouldn't surprise anyone with over half the world's population. There's a lot of people interested in security on that side of the world. So we're going to be partnering with uh, some of our friends in Linux Foundation Japan and putting on an open SSF day and enjoying um, the security track within the broader conference as well. But yeah, lots of stuff coming up. But all of this in aid of drumming up more interest in our community. So we can't do this without you. I can't possibly hire enough people to fix everything myself. We need the community to participate. We need members to sign up. We need people to put time and effort behind these systemic security problems so we can leave the world that much more secure. This is the open source rally call uh, specific to the security world. I love it. I, I, I hope my listeners, I know many of whom have chops uh, on the keyboard in terms of actually producing code. Uh, many of whom have brilliant insights and, and phenomenal experience, you know, managing security programs, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's roles and value in almost anybody in security contributing to this, Absolutely. right? Like, like it's not just people that? that write code. Yeah. Can I double yeah. click on that? Look, you know, you know, my history, man, and you know, I'm, I'm more than familiar with writing code and I really enjoy that, but that's not where our biggest problem is. So here's, here's where I think if, if I'm to do a retrospective and say, where have we focused on versus where do we need to focus on next? And I do want the tool belt work to complete. I don't want to preclude the proper study and conclusion that it will draw, but you know, I got a, I got a sentiment about this having been in security for a bit like yourself, right? I think we've focused a lot of our efforts on thus far making the development of software more secure in the middle part. And what I mean by that is you're already an experienced software developer, you're sitting in your IDE, you're kicking off a build, you're generating an SBOM, you're using SIGStore, like all this kind of stuff, which is great. It's wonderful. We're missing the bookends. And the bookends are, if you follow the security paradigm of shifting left as far as you can, the furthest left you can shift is education. And I hate to sound like a broken record over this, but if we spent as much time in undergrad teaching people about security as we did about data structures and algorithms, we can literally eliminate entire classes of security problems. If, if we create libraries that default to secure encryption ciphers, or if we, if we choose languages that have inherent memory safety, like entire classes of these problems drop Bounded away. Bounded variables and all that good jazz. It's not going to... So a great example of this is the recent Moveit security vulnerability, which is based in SQL injection. We've known about SQL injection since 1998. The solution for it, using stored procedures, has been known for a very long time. It's the old meme, why do we even have that button, right? So education side, I think, is principally not only the furthest left we can shift, but also the cheapest way of addressing it. Then there's the other side. Look, man, there's going to be another log4j. And we just need to get our stuff together so that we, as a global organization, like the collective we, the people that use computers, 
have well-thought-out, predictable incident response plans that are well-practiced. The proverbial running around like a chicken with its head cut off the second something goes bang always leads to badness. One of my buddies is a paramedic, and I always tease him, like, whenever you guys show up on, on the scene, man, you're, you're practically sauntering in. And he said, no, we're actually taught not to rush, because if I rush, I'm going to miss something and somebody's going to get hurt. So having this quiet, contemplative, predictable execution that's well-practiced is the only way we can do this at scale. And also having the ability to do a hot wash or a retrospective thereafter. So, hey, how did this go? What do we need to tweak? If the first time you look at your incident response playbook is when you're in an incident, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right, right. And this is, you know, you're, you're talking to somebody who's got a huge IR history and I've had uh, Brian Hurd on the show. He's got a huge IR history. We've, we've had these conversations. It's, it's amazing. Those of us that have been there and done that a bazillion times that we have a very different approach than we did that first time we, we had. Oh yeah. I, I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was obviously the middle of the night. I was obviously the most junior and only person on shift. And I was like, okay, do we turn off the internet? <laughs> right. Do I pull the plug? What do I do? What do I do? Yep. Yep. Been there, done that. But uh, to your point, maturity, uh, calm, take your time. It's okay. We're not going to panic. You know, these things matter. These things matter greatly. And I think, I think to your point, you guys have the ability to, you know, in that bookends metaphor, you guys have the ability to make the books such that tucking in that right bookend is an easy thing to do. Absolutely. Right? And back to your call to action, right? That's why please don't discount your experience before you've tried to participate. I would love to sit down with somebody that's been doing nothing but writing C++ for the last 20 years and talk about patterns for how we can use C++ in production with better security guarantees. But you know what's even more important? That person, that wizened incident responder that knows how to write a good incident response playbook that will be able to contribute a reference playbook to our community or that person like some of my peers that are working at NYU that are working on that CompSci 101 course that'll take that extra, it doesn't even need to be a full day, like part of your chapter on memory allocation, right? So there's so many different ways for people to contribute here. You don't need to be an uber geek of hardcore software engineering writing assembler. Like there's a lot of opportunity for us to do better. I love it. I love it, man. Well, listen, Omkar Arasaratnam, General Manager at the Open Source Security Foundation. Thank you, sir, for coming back to the show. Thank you for sharing what you guys are up to. This is a phenomenal um, bunch of stuff. I'm very excited. I'm really looking forward to the Black Hat announcements now. Um, this is outstanding. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, Alan. It's always a pleasure. All right. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>